There are a lot of ways to say quit. Stop. Cease and desist. Retreat. Run away. Give up. Surrender. While quitting usually has negative connotations, it's often what we quit and who we quit that serves as the margin of victory or defeat. It's knowing when to say no to things that can save us the most. Competing with culture, yelling at loved ones, lying to your friends, feeding your addictions, sinking further into debt and clinging to bitterness. None of these things are serving you or the people you care about the most. So what's stopping you from saying, I quit to things that can destroy you and your loved ones? In this series at AC, we will explore how to say, I quit and cast off the burdens that are holding you back from living your best life in Christ. All right, well, we are in week two of I Quit, and uh, glad that you're here today. I want to encourage you, if you did miss last week, to make sure you go back and watch that. We talked about the importance of the type of attitude we have to have when we approach a series like this. You know, a lot of times we think about what we need to start doing to pursue God and his plan for our life, but a lot of times it's what we need to quit doing. And sometimes it's things that have been holding us back for a long time, and as we talk about the freedom that Christ wants us to have, we really have bought the lie of the enemy that we can't be free. And last week we talked about where Jesus said, you know, with, with man it could be impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. That we can experience the life that he's created us to live, but we've got to change our mindset and believe that the God is same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he still desires to do a work in our lives. And if we come to him with humble hearts and, and open hands, that he can really do a work in our lives. So today we're going to be talking about part two and a message I'm calling Appetites. And as we, well, on that note, uh, you guys know the affection that I have for, for Costco, right? I love Costco. It's just a, it's a wonderful place. Uh, I often go there just to, just to unwind. And, you know, what other place can you just walk around and, and, and eat free samples of food and, and just enjoy it, or if you, if you want to splurge, you can spend a buck fifty and get a ginormous hot dog and a Coke, right? I mean, it's just a great place, and uh, recently, uh, last Christmas time, you know, I was strolling through the bakery, and they had um, these cinnamon, it wasn't, it's not cinnamon rolls, it's called like a cinnamon pull-apart, and it's been life-changing for me, just to say the least. Uh, this, this, this cinnamon thing, I don't even know how they make it so good, but it, it was just so good. Like, I bought it, and, and it, it was just, it was like Cinnabon, but not hot. Like, it's hard for me to explain. It was just so good. And so I began to tell people about it. And then, sad enough, uh, I went back, and it was gone. And I asked them, I said, hey, where's the cinnamon thing at? And they go, oh, that was a seasonal item. I was like, seasonal? Cinnamon is in year round. I mean, why would we just not just Christmas? Like, what is, are you serious? And so I'm, I'm happy to say that, that they brought it back, okay? It's back. You can actually purchase it today, I, although I wouldn't suggest going to Costco on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's, it's like Black Friday there on the weekends. You don't want to go. But I'm telling you, this thing is, is so good that I'll see people with it in their cart, and I'll be like, I'll be like hey, s- sorry, sir, have you, have you had that yet? No, it's our first time. We just got it. Is it I'm like, listen. As soon as you get home, you need to eat this, all right? It's life change. It'll change your life. And we'll go away, and Riley will be like, why are you talking to them? I'm like, because it's, it's so good, right? And so every time I go, I've been buying one. I'm happy to say, though, this, this Saturday, the Friday we were there, I didn't buy it, all right? I resisted because uh, Jess had already bought a chocolate cake, uh, and it was waiting for us at home. But, but I have a sweet tooth. And a lot of times when we think of appetite, we think of a food. And, 
But it's, it's a little bit more than that. An appetite is a natural desire. And we're going to talk a second about it. It's a God-given thing that we have that, that should satisfy a bodily need. It's an appetite. It's a strong desire or a liking for something. And again, we immediately think of food when we hear the word appetite, but it could be a lot of different things. It could be progress, that we have an appetite to, to win, to be successful. We have an appetite for, for sex and for lust, and we have an appetite for respect and to win in life and for people to love us and for us to be accepted, to, for fame. We have an appetite for recognition. We have an appetite for image, to look a certain way, to be a certain way, right? To be envied. We have an appetite for possessions. And, and again, some of these things are natural. Some of them can be good. But oftentimes, these appetites, if left to just go on their own and, and without control, can become very harmful to our life because appetites are some of the most powerful things in our life. And you can rule them or they will rule you, one or the other, and it's really up to you. You know, we've all seen people who let their appetites rule them. We've seen the marriage fall apart. We've seen them lose their job. We've seen the family fall apart. We've seen the careers go haywire. We've seen these things because they allowed an appetite to rule them instead of ruling it. God created these appetites. Sin has distorted them for our own pleasure, for our own satisfaction, and Satan specializes in presenting us with opportunities for instant gratification while promising us that indulging in these appetites will bring us the satisfaction that we're so desperately seeking. He tempts us to give up the ultimate, the big picture, the love of God, the plan of God for the immediate. And appetites, again, can, can be God-given, can be good for us, but if left to just our fleshly desires and the weakness of our flesh, without the control, they can become very destructive. And if we allow our appetites to rule us, we can find ourselves in some big trouble. But with the Holy Spirit's help, we can rule our appetite. Look what James, this is Jesus' brother, he says this in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, or maybe we could plug in the word appetite there. The temptation comes from our own appetites, from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin or an appetite is allowed, look at that word allowed, when you allow it, when you don't rule over it, but it rules over you, when it's allowed to grow, it eventually gives birth to death. But, how many of you are thankful for the buts in life? Come on, somebody, right? But, with God's help, what we talked about last week, right? We can have the power, we have the power to break free from the sinful appetites in our life. God wants you to be free. He's giving you the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that empowers you, the grace of God that gives you the strength to be who He's created you to be. He didn't leave you on your own. And if you will step in to the freedom of His Spirit, you can be free. So today I want to talk to you about some steps to freedom, to ruling the appetites in our life, or breaking free from the ones that are ruling us. First step is this. If you want to be free, you've got to stop feeding the sin. You've got to stop feeding the appetite. Galatians 5, 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul is, is teaching on 
essentially the fruit of the Spirit, and then also the the fruit of the flesh in our lives. What the flesh produces if we just give in to our fleshly desires, or if we allow the Spirit to rule in our life. He's comparing and contrasting these two things. And he goes on to say that your entire life, you will never be free from this dilemma of what the sinful appetite nature craves to do and what God wants for you, what the Spirit wants you to do. So he says this. So I say, let, there's a choice. Allow the Holy Spirit to be the guide of your life then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's that craving, the appetite. You don't have to give in to that. It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is what is opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. But you have to choose which one you're going to feed. We were at the zoo. This has been a while now, and... uh, you know, I told you about my sweet tooth. When you walk into the zoo, they're very strategic. They put the funnel cake stand right at the front, right? So you're walking in, you catch a whiff of that funnel cake, and the rest of the day, you're just like, funnel cake, funnel cake, funnel cake, funnel cake. Hey, nice animal, funnel cake, funnel cake, right? You think about it all day. You're like, man, I want that funnel. And for people like me, it's like, man, that's an appetite. And so, was, of course, we're, we're going out, and, and I said, hey, Jess, the kids have been great today. Don't you think they deserve a funnel cake, you know? Uh, so so we, we, we stop, we get a funnel cake, and we're sitting outside of the little, you know, concession area. And uh, we're eating the funnel cake, and unfortunately, it smelled a lot better than it tasted. And so, you know, you ate a little bit, and it was kind of done with it. The kids didn't really want much of it. So uh, some birds were flying by. You know, when you sit at a place like that, the birds come up. And so we just began to feed the birds. I said, hey, kids, remember you wanted to feed the, bird, the animals back there, and I, I didn't want to pay for it? Uh, look, we can feed these birds right now. Let's feed the birds. So we're feeding the birds, and, and uh, a worker, a zoo worker comes over and she says, sir, I'm going to need you to, to stop feeding those birds. And immediately, I didn't say this, this is what I thought. I want to make that clear. I did not say this, okay? But this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, these ain't your birds. Look, you got a lot of animals in this zoo. But these birds, they ain't yours. If I want to feed these birds, I'm going to feed these birds, right? God said that he would feed the birds of the air. And he's using me. So I'm going to feed the birds, right? I did not say that. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, who are you to tell me not to feed the birds? Like, are you worried about these birds, that I'm feeding them food that's not good for them? I'm sure there's other things at the zoo that they could have eaten that are worse. Here I am just feeding the birds. But she goes, sir, I'm going to need you to stop. And you want to know why she told me to stop? Not because I shouldn't be feeding the birds or I'm not allowed or it's bad for the birds. She said, if you continue to feed the birds, they're going to keep coming back. And we don't want the birds bothering people when they're eating their food. So could you please stop feeding the birds? And then it made sense to me. Because what you feed, right, your sinful nature, I'm just telling you, it's never satisfied. It wants more. And it's going to continue to want more. And you think, if I just get a little bit more, if I just have this, if I can just get to this place, if I can just get this appetite fulfilled, if I look this way, if I can feel this way, if I can have this possession, if I can achieve this level, it's never satisfied. It's never fully and finally satisfied. There's not a time that I go to Costco that I don't look for them cinnamon rolls. It's never satisfied. It always wants more. It's never like, oh, you know what? I had cinnamon roll last week. I don't need that this week. It's never fully and finally satisfied. And so you have to make a choice to quit feeding the animal. To quit feeding the sin. You have to decide. You have a choice to make. Viktor Frankl, who 
was a respected psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. He said this, between a stimulus and a response, there's always a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. This can go in any area of life. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You see, because we all like to think that, that our appetites are, well, they don't, they don't understand me. They don't know what I get, right? He levels the playing field for us. Yeah, yours may be different, but we all got the same deal. We all have the same issues. We all have the same temptations. He says they're no different from anybody else. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. There's a choice to make. It's not controlling you. You can still control it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The Holy Spirit gives you a way out. And it's up to you in that space, in that stimulus, in that spot to go, what am I going to do? What am I going to choose? And Paul says this, you've got to stop feeding the sin and then choose to submit to the Spirit. It's the second step to freedom. We've got to stop feeding it. We've got to make a decision to say, I want God more than I want this. And then we have to submit to the Spirit's leading. Goes on in verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ, what have they done with these passions and these cravings and these appetites? He says, they have nailed their passions and desires and their sinful nature to the cross and they've crucified them there. So since we are living by the Spirit, he makes an assumption that Christ followers should be a living by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That we need to rely on the Holy Spirit within us. That if we yield to him and we submit to him, that that in in obedience, believing and trusting that his way is better, and we follow his leading, that he will give us the strength to say no to our fleshly desires and appetites that can seem so overwhelming and overpowering if we allow them to be. Today you need to know that self-control is a choice. You see, we live in a world that says whatever you feel is okay. If you feel like doing it, it's okay. If, that's okay. if you feel like that, if, that, if that's good for you, then it's okay. And I would tell you this, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You can't do what you feel like doing. There is a standard and a moral and a guide, a Holy Spirit and, a, and the Word of God that gives us the truth and the understanding to know what is right, to know what is wrong. And when you follow the Holy Spirit, you are yielding. Paul said you nail those desires. They don't belong in a Christ follower, that you submit to the Spirit and you are free to use the wisdom that God has given you. You are free to obey God. You are free to follow the leading of the Spirit in your life. You don't have to be pushed around by your feelings. You don't have to do what you feel like doing. You can submit to the Spirit. And you're free to do what's wise. You're free to do what's right. And the Holy Spirit is what gives you the the strength and the ability to overcome those things if you choose to do it. God has been speaking this all day in every service. I've shared this, not even my notes, but I feel like there's people who are here that, that you have to get to a place where you actually want to be free. That you enjoy that appetite and that sin even though you know it's destructive and it's not godly and it's what he wants for you that you aren't willing to give it up. And I'm here to tell you today that God's way is better for you. Don't buy that lie, man. That is trash, it's garbage. God's way is better. 
It is never satisfied. You'll never be complete. You'll never be fulfilled. The enemy will lie and lead you. And Paul says if you continue to buy that lie, eventually you're going to reap it. It's going to bear fruit in your life. And it's death and decay and destruction. Don't buy that lie. God has more for you than that. So you've got to choose to submit to the Spirit. The third thing you've got to do is you have to be willing to share your struggles. So we, we stop feeding the sin. We choose to allow the Spirit to lead our lives. And then you have to be willing to share your struggle. Look what James says in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to God. No. To each other. God, that's the easy part. I like that. That's easy, right? Maybe you grew up Catholic. I go to the priest, right? There's an understanding here, priest, that whatever happens in this room stays in this room, right? I tell you, right? And how many are thankful for a great high priest now that we have, that we don't have to go to a priest, that we can go directly to God, that Hebrews says you can approach his throne with boldness and confidence, and when you approach him, you're going to receive mercy and grace that you need as a sinner. That's who you can approach. So we can approach God. Thank God for that. But then James goes, that's step one. Step two is then you need to confess to someone else. And he says, and you need to pray for each other so that you may be healed, so that you can be free. That's confession, not just to God, but to one another is what brings healing and freedom. And he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And if you're not seeing the results in your life, I would ask you, who have you allowed into your life so that you can confess to that can pray for you, that can encourage you, that can hold your feet to the fire when they need to be held to the fire. We need that kind of accountability in our life. Because the key to victory, experiencing the freedom of God, is intimacy with God and also with others. This week I saw this definition. Robert Morris pastors a great church in Dallas called Gateway Church. We read his book a about a year and a half ago as a church and did a series called The Blessed Life that he wrote about generosity and just very life-changing stuff. And, and I saw this quote of his this week and he said, you see, the key is, is victory and the, the key to victory is intimacy with God and others. And he said, I'm gonna give you a definition of intimacy. And I saw this and I just gotta share it with you. And he said, the definition of intimacy is this, is into me see. That you have to give someone permission in your life to see into you. Here at Avenger Church, we encourage everyone to get into a life group. That you got to get out of a row into a circle. You can't just sit shoulder to shoulder. you got to get face to face. Why? Because of this. Because you need it. You need relationships. And it takes time to build the trust through a relationship with someone where you feel the vulnerability to really be intimate with them, to allow them to see into you, to see the dark areas of your life, to see your struggle. So who do you have in your life that you can share your struggle with? Who have you given permission to see that? I would tell you, decide that right now. Make a decision to get that kind of accountability and support and encouragement in your life. And some of you, you may be here, and again, because of the severity of of the addiction, of the appetite, of whatever you're going through, you also need to seek professional help. You gotta humble yourself. Get the help that you need. Get the counseling that you need. There's nothing wrong with going to a counselor. Nothing wrong with it. You need to do that. It's healthy, it's proactive, to get that in your life. So we gotta submit to the spirit. We gotta stop feeding the sin of our life. We have to share our struggle and invite others in to our life to give them permission. And then lastly, and I wanna camp here for just a minute. For some of you today, I really want you to consider the consequences if you don't. 
If you don't stop feeding the sin, if you don't allow the spirit to rule your life, if you don't share your struggle, there's a story from scripture, two brothers named Jacob and Esau. And in Genesis chapter 25, it begins to describe these two brothers. And it says, as they grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau's father loved him because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob because he was a mama's boy. So we have these two brothers who are very different. One's an outdoorsy. One's a, I like to hang with mom and, and cook. And it goes on in verse 25. It says that, or verse 29, it says that one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Another translation says, I'm famished. Give me some of that red stew. There's an appetite there. He's starving. He's hungry. He's been working hard. He, he wants something to eat. And, and Jacob saw an opportunity. There had been strife and since the day these guys were born. Like there, he, he wanted what Esau had. And, and it, I never had a brother, but I had an older sister, right? And if you grow up with siblings, right? The older brother never needs anything from the younger brother, do they? Right? They don't ever want anything from the younger brother. I pick on you, right? I tell you what to do, right? I'm the older brother. And here's his older brother coming to him and saying, hey, I, I need what you have. And so Jacob said, ooh, prime opportunity. And today's standards would be like, all right, you want this? Give me the Xbox, Give me your Xbox. I'll give you this, right? But here's Jacob, always wanted to be the firstborn, always wanted the birthright, and he tells Esau, okay, I'll give you the stew that I've made, but trade to me your rights as the firstborn son, his birthright. What you don't understand here is that a birthright, if you don't know, meant that, that Esau was entitled to a double the inheritance of his brother. His father was very wealthy. Isaac was, wealthy man. And he was entitled to double, come on, that's a lot of money. Also, the firstborn, when the parents would be gone, was entitled to be the ruler of the family, the judge of the family. So if there's any disputes in the family, and these people did life together, it's not like it was not, they did everything together. The family stayed together. Their crops, their, their livestock, their wealth, everything was tied in together. That they would be the judge over the family. So they would have influence and power. And then there was also this kind of intangible, unknown blessing of God that came when the father passed. That he would bless the firstborn with this really unknown of what God would do. But there was definitely known that there was a blessing that would come from God as the firstborn that the others didn't get. And so this wasn't just an even trade. This was huge. And Jacob goes, give me your birthright. And he says, look at me, I'm dying of starvation. He was standing under his own power, right? He's having a conversation. How many many know you feel like that when that appetite, when that craving, you go, I'll die without this. The enemy gets the immediate for the sake of the ultimate. He gets your eyes off of what's most important and what you want in the moment. Tempting you, promising you that this will be what satisfies you. He says, what good is my birthright to me now? It's worth a lot. But somehow he lost sight of that. So Jacob said, okay, I'll give you this. First, you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath. This was a binding contract, thereby selling all of his rights as a firstborn to his brother. And we sit here and we go, who in their right mind would trade all of that wealth, 
power, influence. For a bowl of stew. God's blessing, the unknown will, blessing of God. Who would trade all of that for a bowl of stew? But you might. Some of you, you are. In my line of work, I see people do it all the time. They don't consider the consequences. They give in to the temptation. And it destroys families. It destroys marriages. I've sat across from couples and they go, it's just no way we can reconcile after what they did. Now look, God's in the redemptive business. God can redeem it. He can do it. I'm not saying that he can't. Anything is possible. But what if we could intervene before it got to that point? What if I could get in front of them before they made the choice? Before they started the affair, before they took the drug, before they got into this, before, what if we could get there before? What if we could do that for Esau? Think about this. If, if somehow we could be plopped in, if I could be dropped into his story this morning. And I say, hey Esau, listen, I know you don't know who I am, but I, before you tell Jacob that you'll give him that, let me, let me give you a zoom out for a second. Let's get a big picture here. Because you may not see the future, but I'm from the future, and I can tell you what's going to happen. You see, Esau, you're going to go on to have 12 sons. And your 12 sons are going to make up the nation of Israel. There's a lot of stuff that happens, but eventually you end up in Egypt. And you become enslaved for 400 years. But during that time, God is building up a nation, a strong nation of people. They're multiplying. And then God is going to raise up this man named Moses. And Moses is going to come and rescue your family, your kids, your grandchildren. He's going to come. and Your, your family tree is going to come in. And, and for the first time since the garden, God's going to have an audible conversation with someone. And when he introduces himself to Moses, like we talked about last week, when he introduces himself to Moses, he's going to say, I am who I am. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And then a few thousand years later, there's going to be another guy who comes named Jesus to save the world. And Matthew, this guy who's a tax collector. I know you don't know anything about taxes. It's okay. Uh, we'll catch you up on that later. But, but listen, he's going to come. And Matthew's going to write a gospel talking, announcing the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who God's going to save all of his people through. And he's going to say, this man's going to come from your lineage. He's going to say, there's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And Jesus comes from them. What if we could have stepped in? Because if you know scripture, you know the story. That's not how it went, was it? Esau sells his birthright. And from then forward, God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Esau. You see, Esau traded the ultimate for the immediate. And if we could step in and we'd go, hey, Esau, do you want to sell all of that, the unknown, tangible, intangible blessing of God, the favor of God? Do you want to sell all that for a bowl of stew? Come on, man. No way. But he didn't know. And you don't know. You don't know what you're giving up. You have no idea what you could be giving up. 
if you continue to surrender to your appetite. Verse 34, it said that Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. Then he got up and he left. And that was it. And it said for the rest of his life, he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. He despised his birthright because he gave it all up. And by then, the consequences were irreversible. He couldn't go back. The stew was gone, so was his birthright. And with that, his destiny was forever changed because of an appetite he was unwilling to control. And I don't know what you're willing to give up, but every day there's going to be a struggle. Every day the enemy is going to tempt you to give up the ultimate for the immediate. He's going to promise you fulfillment, but never come through for it. It's an appetite that is never fully and finally satisfied. And today, I'm begging you. Maybe I'm intervening for you, and it's not too late. Maybe there's still a chance for you. Sure, there's going to be consequences, but maybe it's not going to cost you your marriage if you stop now. Maybe it's not going to cost you your career. Maybe you won't end up where if you get rid of that, if you get the help, if you seek... Maybe it's not too late for you. Will you consider the consequences? What do you want? What's at stake for you? Ask yourself, five years from now, where do I want to be? Ten years from now, where do I want to be? What do I want for my kids? Zoom out. Get the big picture for your life and the plan of God. Are you willing to give all of that up for a bowl of stew? Because that's all it is. So what's yours? Habit? shortcut you're taking at work, alcohol, pornography. What are you doing that you want no one else to know about? What are you trading for your future? What's at stake for you? Are you in a relationship? Maybe you're single, you're dating, and you know if you ask yourself, is this person the will of God for my life? You know the answer right now. Are you willing to give up the will of God for your life for that person? Is it worth it to you? What are you trading? Are you willing to trade the unknown, intangible blessing in favor of God on your life for whatever it is? Maybe it's not too late. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this. Paul goes on. Again, he's talking the whole time about spirit, flesh, choosing the spirit, denying your flesh. Nailing the desires, the cravings, the appetite, dealing with it. Stop feeding it. Submit to God. Share your struggle. He says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You cannot mock. You cannot outwit. You cannot outdo the principles of God's word. And his principle is this. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always reap what you sow. There's no way around it. He said you, you, you can't change it. Once you do, you can't do it. So he says... Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature and appetites, those things, like, they're going to harvest decay and death. It's what you get when you sow into that. He said, but those who live to please the Spirit of God will harvest everlasting life. 
from the Spirit. What do you choose? I don't know about you. For me, it's a no-brainer. I want God. I want His blessing. I want my marriage. I want my kids. I want this church. I want God's will to be accomplished in my life. But you got to be willing. Stop feeding the sin. You can say no. You have the power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. You have the power. Don't say you don't have the power. Don't say it's going to be. No, you can't. Look, you may need help. You may need to share your struggle. You may need to let some people in to help you. Do that. But the Spirit can rule in your life. You can be who God's called you to be. You can be free if you want it. Who in their right mind would give all that up for a bowl of stew? And listen to me. Whatever it is for you, that's all it is. The enemy's made you think it's something else. That's all it is. The decisions you make today determine the story you're going to tell tomorrow. What do you want your story to be? What do you want for your kids? The band's coming. We're going to close out. Today, I believe God's sounding an alarm for some of you. He's got your attention. In Luke 8, 17, it said this, For all that is in secret will eventually be brought to the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to the light and made known to all. You see, we tell ourselves, no one's going to find out. No one will ever know. This is just my deal. This is my, no one's ever going to find out. They'll, she'll never know. He'll never know. They'll never see this. Oh, I can hide this. I can figure. And the enemy deceives you and tells you that. And Jesus says right here. He's like, no, no, no. But the justice of God cannot be mocked. It's a principle that you can't outwit, that you can't hide from. Whatever you sow, you will reap one way or the other. And so today I'm telling you, turn on the light before someone else does. Bring it into the light. Share your struggle. Humble yourself so that you can find the healing. This is what James said in chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. He says, so humble yourselves before God. There's humility that needs to happen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have that kind of power. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. And a lot of times we stop right there and we go, that's a great verse. Resist the devil. Call close to guys and come close to you. But James goes, no, if you really want to be free, you got to take it a step further. And then he says this, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty has been divided between God and the world. You've bought the lie. You've been living the lie of the enemy. Quit buying that lie. You've been divided. Be unified with God. Align with him. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. There should be deep sorrow and grief for the life you've been living. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. But then he gives us this promise. So humble yourself before the Lord. And what he's saying is if you're truly repentive, if you truly want to change, if you truly want God, if you truly want his spirit, if you truly want his will, if you truly want his blessing, you truly want his favor, he says you, you will humble yourself before the Lord. And when you do, he will lift you up in honor. What an amazing promise. 
He's talking to people who have grieved God. He says, even though you've sinned, even though you've messed up, even though you've made mistakes, even though you've done all this stuff, if you come before the Lord and you bow your knee to God and you humble yourself and you repent, you know what? You receive mercy and grace where you need it most. You receive forgiveness even though you don't deserve it. You receive the power of the Spirit of God so that you can be an overcomer, that you can be more than a conqueror through Christ. But you got to be willing to stop feeding the sin and submit to the Spirit of God. Share your struggle. Consider the consequences if you don't. And if you do that, you humble yourself before the Lord. He will honor that and lift you up. You may be going, Kyle, you don't even understand. I, I could never stop. I don't even know life without this. I don't even understand. Listen, I'm not strong enough. You may not be, but he is. And you can't, even when you can't, not because of you, but because of him. The curse of sin and addiction has been broken. You are free. He saved you, and because he's with you, listen, you can overcome anything. With man, by yourself, impossible. But with God, anything 